Hey folks, I just want to let you know about my upcoming book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. If you're looking for a job or you think you might be looking for a job in the future and you're trying to up your mobility and meet new people and things like that, this book walks you through the whole process. So go ahead and check it out. It comes out on November 20th. It'll be on Amazon and you can find it as The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Chris Biscardi. I hope I said that right. Chris, do you want yeah, to introduce you yourself real quick? Hey, I'm Chris. Um, I'm an independent consultant, working a lot with JavaScript and Golang these days. So, yeah. Good deal. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So uh, when you say independent consultant, I mean, generally, are you doing what? Go on the back end and react on the front end? Or is it Gatsby based, which is what we talked about on JavaScript Jabber, or is it something else? Or yeah, so uh, it's go on the back end, React, JavaScript front end. Um, for example, I was just contracted to build Gatsby Teams uh, and do Gatsby plugin MDX and things like that. So oh, nice. One example of uh, contract. <laughs> That's right. I think you talked about Gatsby Themes on the episode. So yeah, for sure. Cool stuff. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit uh, rounder picture of who you are? Maybe you know what your sure. life's like, who you are, what your hobbies are, that kind of a thing? Yeah, um, all my work is remote these days. Um, I weightlift um, now competitively. I haven't been to my oh, first wow. meet yet, but uh, it's coming next month. So getting ready for that. Yeah, play video games. Rocket League's my main video game right now. Uh, do a bunch a of one. teaching. Yeah, I really like it. We do a bunch of teaching with Egghead, uh, make a couple other videos, starting a podcast, have a podcast, um, blog a lot. Yeah. Nice. That's, uh, that's me. Good deal. Well, this show, we tend to get into people's uh, coding journey and just kind of see, you know, where, where you came from and what your history is and things like that. And it's funny because I, I always think, okay, well, from the episode, I kind of get a picture of where people came from. And then, yeah, it turns out, nope, not, not exactly. So um, I'm curious to see where your story leads us. Um, how did you get into programming? Like, what was your first experience with programming? I think my first, first experience with programming was like, um, I had the computer when I was younger and uh, I wrote like a couple HTML tags and in, like an index.html file. And mm -hmm. that was, that was my first, first experience. I didn't, I basically dropped it after that and then uh, didn't pick it up again until I was in college when I was doing an art major. Uh, and they gave us access to like Adobe Flash and uh, ActionScript and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to just draw pictures. So I want, <laughs> to do something. Uh, so I basically banged my head for an entire summer while I stayed at college uh, and learned how to write uh, ActionScript and Flash and that kind of thing. 
So that's nice. the, uh, that's my entry path. <laughs> it's funny. I've talked to a number of people that, yeah, that's part of their path. You know, it's like I got into, uh, you know, they were doing art or they were doing some kind of design, you know, sometimes it was more digital design. Um, yeah. And then they found flash and they figured out that they could kind of do both enough to make themselves happy and make themselves money. And then, yeah, uh, Steve jobs came out, came out and said, flash is dead. <laughs> and yeah. so they were forced to make a transition. Does that, does that sound familiar at all? Or that is uh, exactly how I got started in JavaScript actually. <laughs> so I was doing action script. Uh, I was doing flash. I got my first sort of consulting consulting or I guess freelancing at the time is what you would call it. Yeah. Uh, contracts. And then, uh, eventually Apple was like, yep, flash is dead. And I was like, well, got to do something else. if I want to keep doing this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I was, I had been doing some PHP and stuff at the time. And then I was just like, well, JavaScript, JavaScript will be it. That seems like the other thing. So yeah, that was a while ago at this point, I guess. <laughs> that, yeah, it, it's just funny to me how many people made that transition <clears throat> versus, you know, maybe some of the other things. Um, it's, it's also interesting to me how many people I talk to from the .NET end of things, you know, it's like Silverlight and they kind of, you know, Microsoft finally <laughs> sunset that technology and yeah. same story, right? It was like, well, they expect us to do all this in JavaScript. So here we go. <laughs> now, were you a, a willing um, JavaScript subscriber at that point or... Were you just, you know, did you kind of mumble and grumble while you figured it out or how did that work out for you? Well, so I was still really, really early in my career, right? So was, this was only like a year or two in for me, I guess, maybe two, uh -huh. maybe three. So I had like action script contracts and stuff, but I wasn't like doing, I guess, serious work or whatever you might consider it at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I wasn't really, I was coming off of basically just banging my head for the first time ever repeatedly right. against the wall to learn action script. And I was like, well, guess I got to do it again. Uh, and I just did it. Like it wasn't, uh, I didn't have opinions about JavaScript. I didn't have any right. like people telling me that JavaScript was a bad language or anything. I just yeah. was alone and uh, had to figure something out. And I figured it out. Yeah. Well, an action script is based on ECMA anyway. And so yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. a lot of people tell me, well, it wasn't that bad. Because, you know, a lot of the concepts translated very neatly. So. Yeah, for sure. It didn't turn out to be that big of a deal. Um, yeah. But uh, I definitely had no idea what I was in for when I started. <laughs> <laughs> None of us did. <laughs> I mean, I, I got into JavaScript kind of as a, uh, it was almost kind of like the sidecar on the motorcycle that was Ruby on Rails when I was learning. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, it's like, oh, jQuery makes all this stuff easy. And little did I know where this whole train was headed. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. And now JavaScript is everywhere. Yes, it is. Um, so, so I'm curious as you get into this, then you um, you dive in head, head first, I guess, into JavaScript. Um, how did you kind of carve out a niche that you could go after? So, uh, some of my first like freelancing stuff was uh, because people sort of had open source projects that they wanted to build or something like that, mm -hmm. or work that they wanted done, and they were like, "Hey, you cost like ten dollars an hour right now. Why don't you do it?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's where I got my start, right? And then um, yeah. that's kind of how I carved out a niche over the last like 10 years or so. Um, right. I kept doing open source work. I kept doing sort of like the cutting edge stuff. I did, uh, I had clients using Node 0.2 in production uh -huh. uh, with like Mongo and stuff like that. And uh, that was an adventure. Continued doing that. Uh, went to Docker, built a UI team. 
uh, did that for about two years, continued, continued, uh, you know, do Gatsby contracts now, things like that. So I'm still, still sort of like modern tooling, front end, open source, uh, Golang person at this point. Uh, right. Yeah. So my niche is sort of based in companies that build their products on open source stuff. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you wind up getting into Golang? I mean, this is a JavaScript podcast, but it's always interesting. I mean, I talk to people on the my Ruby story and they're like, well, I did node and now I'm doing Elixir. And you know, it's, it's always <laughs> interesting to me. It's like, it's like, okay, so how, how do you go to that world? Right. Cause I know a lot of people who did front end and they're like, well, it's just JavaScript on the back end. It makes sense to me, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got into go because, uh, I took a job at Docker. Uh, uh that was 2014. And my main consulting languages at the time were Haskell and JavaScript. Gotcha. Um, and I got in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole period of a couple of years there where I went from, uh, okay, I guess I got to learn JavaScript. Okay, I guess I got to learn more languages at some point, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just went through a bunch of them and then uh, got some production Haskell usage out of it. Uh, wow, I don't hear many people say production <laughs> Haskell. Usually it's, uh, you know, they puff out their chest and they're like, I've done real, <laughs> right? Because no. I wrote, I wrote Hello World in Haskell, <laughs> right? And then that's about it, right? They, they yeah, got their feet sure. wet enough to get cred and then they're done. <laughs> like I touched it. I can claim it. Now I'm going to walk away forever. That's uh, right. I got those Haskell QDC. <laughs> but yeah, definitely did that um, for a while. Did it for some startups in the Bay Area. And then, uh, yeah, got my job at Docker. And Docker uh, had a bunch of software written in Go. Um, they mm -hmm. had some stuff written in Python, but basically everything was moving to go at the time that I joined. Um, and I didn't really touch it for a couple months. Uh, but as I got deeper into sort of learning about their projects and like Docker, the open source project, and then everything else that came after it. Yeah. Uh, that's where I got go from. So that's why I do go now. Gotcha. I, I have to ask, how did you wind up doing Haskell? Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, like I was saying before, my path into programming was beating my head against the desk repeatedly uh -huh. until I learned it because I didn't have anybody to learn from. Right. I basically bought the action script Bible uh, and just read it. And that's how I learned. Um, and then, like, Apple killed action script. So I had to do it again for JavaScript. And I was like, oh, this is just how it, how it is. Uh, so I went around looking, and like, people always talked about. Uh, I guess Lisp and Haskell and things like that. And these like mythical, oh, like really smart people go and do these, or these are really hard for whatever reason. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I go, better go find out uh, why they're hard. Uh, and I started learning them and started using them. And then um, eventually people started paying me to do it. <laughs> nice. So Very yeah, cool. I guess it's uh, just the same thing as everything else, I guess. Yeah. Very funny. It, it's just, yeah. I, most of the time I, I hear people talking about Haskell is just kind of a badge of honor. So that it's great. I, I love that. <laughs> I love that it can be written in production and I'm curious what people are using it for in production. Yeah. Uh, I guess one of the projects that I used it on, for example, was a, uh, Electron app. So uh -huh. their servers were written in Haskell, right. Uh, doing like type safe SQL against their SQL store and stuff like that. Okay. And their, uh, Electron app shipped with a Haskell binary. And that Haskell binary was basically a direct connection to a bunch of databases and stuff like that. So it was basically used for uh, stream processing of results and stuff like that. Huh. Um, 
as a binary server that ran with their React front end right. electric on kind of thing. So yeah. Nice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we brought you on JavaScript Jabber to talk about Gatsby. So did you just pick up Gatsby as part of your journey into React? And I, I guess we should back up because I'm curious how you wound up settling on React instead of Angular or Vue or even going back further, things like Knockout or Ember or mm -hmm. Backbone, you know, that were around before React was really a big deal. Yeah, so I was, um, I was a Backbone person for a while. Yep. Um, and my approach to like frameworks and stuff like that has always been more of the uh, find a bunch of libraries and put them together kind of style. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than the sort of, I guess, Railsy approach or something like that, where it's everything's here, you probably have it, uh, convention kind of things, right? Right. Um, so React appealed to me from, well, so first of all, I joined Docker as the first UI hire. I had to build a team. I had to choose technologies. Uh, we were redoing a bunch of stuff, had to do complete rewrites. So I just had the choice to make oh, a bunch wow. of technology decisions off the bat. Um, and I had to pick something. And I've been working in Backbone for a couple of years at that point. Uh, and the problem with Backbone projects, if you've never used it, is you basically have to build Marionette for every Backbone mm -hmm. project that you ever yep. do, which was really annoying, right? <laughs> yeah, Derek <laughs> so Bailey's like, a friend of mine. He <laughs> created Marionette, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, great project, by the way. Um, yep. But like, yeah, so I was looking for something else and uh, it was 2014, React was around at that time. I think it was uh, uh, long enough, uh, after their JSConf presentation where people mm -hmm. weren't quite uh, ragging on it as hard as they were on the initial presentation. Um, right. But I saw it and I had been working in Haskell right before I joined. So I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense to me. Like taking the uh, unidirectional data flow through uh, and rendering everything uh, out of components makes a lot of sense to me. All of the purity made sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have any of the baggage around like um, how people think of like, purity and pure functions and things like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I looked at React, I said, yes, that looks good. Um, I showed it to the rest of the team. The example that I showed them was, hey, I have some array in state and I can basically push and pop off of it and then everything shows up. And right. uh, they were a bunch of Go writing, Python writing, um, like backend kind of programmers. So they were like, ooh, data structures. That makes sense to me. Uh, <laughs> nice. And everyone was like, cool, go do it. Yeah, great. Um, so yeah, we did React for about two years. And then I, they're still using React, but uh, I left after two years. <laughs> right. One ambition I had early on in my career was actually to build iOS apps. And so, of course, my solution was to start a podcast talking about how to build iOS apps. And so we asked around, we got some ideas, and eventually Josh Susser from the Ruby Rogues podcast put up the idea of the iFreaks show. And that's what we called it. You can find it at iFreakshow.com. And every week we're talking about iOS development and Swift and Objective-C and libraries and reactive programming and all of the things that go into making good iOS apps. I don't run the show anymore, but we've got Andrew Madsen who puts together the curriculum for Lambda School. We've got James Uber who's been doing iOS development as a freelancer for a long time. We've got Mike Holt, who's a good friend of mine who's worked in Xamarin and in Swift and currently does a bunch of interesting work on that. And we've got other people that we're bringing in all the time to make that show better. So if you're trying to keep up on all of the advancements that Apple makes, all of the announcements from WWDC, and you wanna hear from people who are doing this day in and day out and talking about it and teaching people about it and doing the work with it, then you definitely need to check out iFreaks. 
You can find it at ifreakshow.com. That's I-P-H-R-E-A-K-S show.com. So, uh, yeah. So did you leave to do freelancing or were you out, out there looking for something else or was it just time? I'm, I'm a little curious as to how you make that transition. Yeah. Um, so my fallback has always been freelancing or always been consulting or something, yeah. something of that form. Right. So one of the things that I think, um, was really beneficial about starting out doing freelancing because it was all, it's always my default now. Right. I can always fall back on freelancing. If I need to quit something, I need to walk away from a project. I need to do something. Uh, I have something to go back to. Uh, and that thing is a me controlled way to get income into, uh, paying my rent. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, when it was, uh, time for me to leave Docker, it was basically, we had just completed a major rewrite. Um, the team had grown from like just me to, uh, 10 to 15 UI people over the course of the time that I was there, um, spread across a bunch of different projects. And then it was just sort of like the team can operate without me. I can either take on a much larger project next, or I can move on to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team was self-sufficient. So it was the time for me to sort of move on rather than take on, uh, a much larger thing. So yeah, yeah. I fell back on consulting again. <laughs> no, that makes sense. And it's interesting too, that uh, I feel like a lot of people hit that transition point in their life one way or the other, right? Or their career. And it's like, okay, I can either go to the next level. I can go do something else or I can go back to what I've always done. And yeah, the reasons for making those calls are always just as interesting, right? It's, you know, cause, cause people do things for different reasons. And it's a lot of times um, I have people talk to me like one decision is the right call, right? I mean, mm-hmm. any of those would have been a, a good call. Sure. So it just depends on where you want to end up. And a lot of people feel like they have this obligation to make like the correct call as though it's some kind of video game and you get points <laughs> for scoring the right, you know, you, you went down path A and it turns out that path A is going to make you miserable. So, you know, or maybe path B would just make you happier. And yeah. so you make the call. And uh, yeah, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. A lot of people just get hung up on, well, what if I mess it up? Well, if you mess it up, then you go back to default. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, I got really lucky that my default is falling back on something that uh, I can sort of control to make money and get income uh, because it means that I can just, I can walk away when it's time. Right. Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I mean, you know, I run the podcast network and, um, you know, I talk to people about the situation. They're like, is that risky? And I've, you know, every time that I have run short of money, it's because I quit doing marketing, <laughs> right? I quit going out yep. and trying to find people to, to buy sponsorship. Yep. And so, yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent of my control and that, that makes me happy. So yeah, I yeah. hear you there. Yeah, for sure. So that's, uh, that's my sort of, uh, global career arc. I always, stray towards more independence over less. Right. Uh, which is part of the reason I fall back on consulting and part of the reason that I am, uh, producing a bunch of egghead courses and things like that right now. Yep. In fact, how, how did you get into doing the egghead courses? Uh, so earlier this year, actually, um, I, or actually late last year. So December last year, I had this, um, blog post that was hitting like 6,000 words. I hadn't uh-huh. shipped it. I'd been working on it for a couple months. Um, and I was sort of like really not happy that I hadn't shipped it. I'm really happy that I hadn't shipped anything else while I was working. Right. On it. 
Um, so end of December, I was just like, well, I'm just going to start shipping stuff. Uh, and I started shipping stuff every day. So I started writing and shipping a blog post every day. And that continued for uh, just over a month. Uh, and towards like the middle end of that time, I was tweeting about stuff. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do educational stuff because I like doing it. And Egghead came into view and I was like, okay, well, should I get a subscription to this thing? Should I not? Like, what is this? Like, uh, whatever, whatever. And I was saying this on Twitter and obviously like Joel and everybody mm -hmm. are on Twitter. Uh, so they all saw me talking about it and they were like, oh, well, you know, you could just come and teach stuff here. Right. You know? And at that point I had like four or five years of react experience. So like, yeah. I don't really need the react content on Egghead myself, but I can teach stuff. Yep. So that's how I got involved with Egghead. And that's how I started uh, making videos for them. That's awesome. A, a random Twitter conversation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Joel is awesome. And John actually from Egghead, he lives within like a mile of me. So nice. Yeah. John's a great dude. Yep. They're both great dudes. Just yeah, they are. <laughs> and they do, they do great work over there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've, I've watched a few of their courses and, taking advantage of some of the information they put out. So that's, that's awesome. So what are you working on now? Uh, yeah. So I'm wrapping up my Gatsby contract and moving into a couple of different projects. Uh, first of all, I have a couple of courses in production for Egghead. Uh, one of them is a Golang and GraphQL course. Uh, the other one is a very advanced themes course. So, right. um, I just built Gatsby themes, um, coming off the contract and, uh, yeah, I, I sort of have a lot of really advanced uh, knowledge about how people can build them and compose them and ship them and sell them and things like that. So uh, looking forward a lot to uh, publicizing the mindset shift from I'm building a site to I'm building a subsection of a site as a library for other people to use. Right. Um, yeah, and then I got a, a couple of projects under the, uh, that I'm starting to work on right now. And uh, yeah, we'll see where they go. I'll probably probably be able to talk about them a little bit more in like a month or so. Nice. How is building a theme different from building an app? Uh, so building an app, you get to make a lot of assumptions, right? Um, uh -huh. You get to say, we're just going to do this one styling thing, right? Or you can use emotion, you can use the emotion pragma and you can have it compile all of your files with that pragma. Right. Um, or whatever, right? When you're building a theme, if you want it to be used by other people, uh, now you're into a situation where you're building a library that other people are going to include in their application. Uh -huh. So you're working on the library level now and not the site level. Right. Which means that you need to consider what styling solutions other people are going to use, what data structures they have in place, how they're going to organize their app, and you have to choose whether to support them in that or not. And so you can sort of build a theme as a site and ship it, right? Right. People do that. It's, it's the basic starter, how do I build my first theme? But if you're going to build things that other people are going to use and other people are going to combine with other themes, uh, you have to shift into this library mindset where you can't make assumptions about how people are going to use right. it or what styling things they're going to use or et cetera, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can pull all in all kinds of things that are going to, yeah, they're going to clash with what you did and you don't control the whole stack anymore. Nope. Somebody writes, uh, like if you write a header class, right? You're kind of loose with your yep. CSS and you write a header class. Somebody else writes a header class. They use your theme. Their site breaks. Yep. Right. So now, uh, now you have to think about how to namespace all your stuff if you're using it. <laughs> right. Um, just one example. But that's, that's the, the main difference between a site and a theme. Yep. I remember building in college, we had to build like uh, basically tank wars. Right. And so you <laughs> had to build a 
rudimentary AI to run your tank. And it reminds me of that a little bit, right? Where you'd, you'd put the, uh, these algorithms in and you'd hope for the best, <laughs> right? Cause you never knew yeah, what yeah. the map was going to look like or what the other <laughs> tanks were going to do. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, very cool. So I'm a little curious as we talk about your career path and some of the things that you've been working on, do you feel like there's kind of an overarching theme or, uh, you know, some lessons that as somebody's listened to this, they could glean from what you've done and where you've been? Yeah. Uh, charge more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I mean that sort of in jest, but like very seriously also, like if you are doing any work or you're doing freelancing or you're doing whatever, um, you're probably undercharging. Yep. Uh, just everybody does. Nobody knows what they're worth. And it takes a lot of uh, confidence to say, hey, I'm going to go double my rate now um, yep. and see if anybody pays it. And getting, getting from the sort of like, I'm going to be an employee and I'm going to take whatever they give me without negotiation uh, on that very far end of the spectrum all the way to um, I'm going to be a consultant and I'm going to set mm-hmm. my rates and uh, I can only work with one or two clients a year. So the rates are going to be high and those right. people are going to be the people that pay me because I don't need 10, 20, 50 clients. I don't need everybody to pay me. Right. And I don't need everybody to pay me that rate. Um, I need to find a rate that allows me to find the clients that I want to work with. And that is the rate that I can charge. So yeah, I think if, uh, if there's anything to take away from my history, it's uh, figure out that you can charge on the value that you create a lot earlier than I did. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, my first contract. So I got laid off, went and met up with a bunch of people. Rumor was going around that this consulting agency nearby was hiring. Mm-hmm. So I went and applied. Turned out it was a contract gig and I severely underbid because <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so then I, uh, I was talking to some friends of mine who were out there doing contract work and I was like, I got my first contract. And I told them what the <laughs> rate was and they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's uh there's one thing worse than not having work and it's having work at a rate that uh yeah. is not high enough. Because then you have a time commitment and a work commitment and you can't actually pay all the things you need to pay. Yeah, I got lucky that I had a small small pile of money so it extended my runway until I could charge <laughs> somebody else basically double what I Yeah, for quoted sure. them. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean like I said true. Yeah, like I said I I charged like Ten fifteen dollars an hour for my first contracts, something like that, and it was. Oh, like, I wasn't. I wasn't that low. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, um, like this. This is my first ever contracts, right? But like, the way I was looking at it at the time is like it's it's slightly better than working at McDonald's. So I, I it's cool, like great. Um, and then later I found out that actually that um, people are making millions of dollars off the work that I'm doing. Uh, yeah, and if people are people are raising tens or hundreds of millions of dollars from VCs off the work that you do, then uh, there's a lot of money there and you should capture some of that value. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. So uh, I think we've talked about, you know, where you're at and how you got there. What, what does a day in the life of Chris Biscardi look like? Yeah. um, I guess an average day when I have a contract is sort of, uh, I get up, I go to the gym basically straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, uh, mental health thing for me. Uh, the yep. more work that I do, uh, the more I need to be consistent and go to the gym and take care of my mental health and things like that. So I'll get back from the gym. I'll do my shower. I do a live stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, so if it's 2 PM on a Monday, Wednesday or Friday, I will be live streaming for an hour or two. 
uh, during that stream, I will be working on whatever I have to work on that day. Right. Um, historically, it's been Gatsby themes and Gatsby related stuff because that's been my contract over the last year or so. Uh, these days, it's uh, I've been doing a lot of FaunaDB, some Golang work, things like that. And then I'll get off the live stream. Live streams are kind of tiring. So I'll take like an hour. Maybe I'll take a half hour nap or something like that after get dinner. Um, work on more stuff and uh, make some videos, write some blog posts. While I'm working, uh, I sort of have developed a process where uh, blog posts and videos fall out of all the work that I do. Mm -hmm. um, so every time I notice something, every time I learn something, every time I figure something out or have to Google something, all of that stuff turns into a blog post or a naked video or a newsletter or something like that. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I crank those out too. I like that where basically, yeah, if I had to figure this out, then I'm going to make a video about it. Yeah. Cause and, if you had to uh, figure it out then somebody yeah. else has to figure it out too. And uh, yeah. the best time to teach something is right after you learned it, I think. Yeah, that's true. So I am just starting to get into live streaming. In fact, um, I've kind of soft committed which means I haven't committed, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm probably going to start uh, live streaming about an hour Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Cool. And yeah. Do you have any advice as far as how to do that and how to make sure that it, you know, provides value to people? Uh, yeah. Click the button and uh, keep doing it. <laughs> uh, so, like, I have a blog post on this actually that I wrote like two weeks ago or something. Uh -huh. uh, and I was going to write this whole blog post about how uh, you should live stream and like, it's really good for you. It's good for the community. You can build up this great interactions uh, in Twitch chat and things like that. Um, but really uh, the main blocker that everybody has is clicking the button that says go live. Oh, I'm shameless. That's not a big Nothing deal else. for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But for like the vast majority of people, it's like, that's their hang up. Their hang up is like, yeah. oh, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to, like, I'm going to hit a bug and then I have to deal with it. I'm going to have a syntax error for half an hour. Um, and I've had really bad streams where, like, it's me and the group of people watching me in chat, and it's been three hours and we haven't figured out whatever we're doing the first thing on the stream. Like, it, it, <laughs> it's, there are some tough streams, but then there are also yeah. great streams where you get everything done and it's an hour in and you've, like, got three things done and uh, it's fantastic. And really, um, the thing that I would say about live streaming is it's not about the content in particular. It's about you and your interaction with the audience. Yeah. It's a community building thing. It's not a, um, it's not an, I'm an expert. And I'm going to put on display how much of an expert I am. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily matter what you do or what you're working on, uh, because you're there for the people and you're there for the interaction and you're there to teach. Right. Yep. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in 
one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Yeah, well, and it's the same thing with podcasting, right? I mean, yeah, we edit these for content, right? So that it sounds nice and the flow is good. Mm. But I mean, especially these interviews, it's, hey, look, Chris is a guy and he does <laughs> stuff, right? And, yeah. and some of the stuff you like and some of the stuff you identify with and some of the stuff you probably have to figure out how to do. Um, and some of the stuff you're going to go, yeah, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. But that's the whole point, right? And that, that's, that's why these connect, I think, with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it sounds like you already have your uh, path set out for you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just pick, I, I have a tendency lately to pick technologies that I know embarrassingly little about that I should know more about. And so that's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> Those make fantastic streams though. Like, yeah. uh, for example, I did uh, FaunaDB last mm-hmm. Friday. Last Friday or the Friday before was my first FaunaDB stream ever. It was the first time I ever looked at their documentation page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I have uh, 15 egghead videos on FaunaDB and right. I've done three or four or five streams on it. And like, I actually know how to use it now. Um, but the first one was rough. <laughs> yep. Uh, but people love that. People love yep. to see you going from scratch because they have to go from scratch. Well, that was the thing when I was doing screencasting. Uh, this was what? A long time ago. <laughs> like 10 years ago, maybe. <laughs> Not quite that long ago. Well, yeah, maybe that long ago. Anyway, I would leave the mistakes in. Mm-hmm. Like I'd run into a snag. Yep. And uh, so I'd go look up the answer. And, you know, while I'm spending five minutes reading, yeah, I'd cut that out. Okay, I found the answer and it's right here, right? But I got so much feedback. I'd get the occasional, oh, gee, uh, apparently you don't know what you're doing. But most people, it was, it was like, wow, this really helped me. I had never considered finding an answer that way, you know? And sometimes it was something that you go back to over and over again, like a Stack Overflow or something. And sometimes it was, well, I did the search and then I stumbled across some YouTube video that was like really obscure, but <laughs> solved my problem. And so, yep. Yeah. yeah. I think the, one of the really important things to remember if you're going to start Twitch streaming is that, uh, chat wants you to succeed. Yeah. Right. Like, especially in the, uh, like science and technology, web development, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever section of Twitch, uh, all those people are very supportive. They want you to yeah. succeed. They want you to get the thing right. Uh, right. Nobody's there to, uh, hate on you or make fun of you or like whatever. Um, yep. As you get bigger, you run into those people. But like when you're just starting, mm-hmm. everybody wants you to succeed. Those people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's definitely true. And yeah, some people are out there trying to find their next ego trip and so they can come and kick you in the head. Yeah. But yeah, most people are out there and yeah, they, they want to be involved with somebody who's doing that kind of thing. They want to learn from you and they, yeah, they want to see you succeed because they feel like they're a part of it when they're on yeah. watching it live. Yeah. There's um, a great example of that is I just built um, a series of functionality where it was like uh, Golang functions on Netlify and FaunaDB and uh, whatever Zapier and things like that. And yeah. I did it all on stream and I was talking about it with somebody uh, in my discord channel uh, today or yesterday. 
Uh, and they were saying like, it feels like we built this. And I was like, that's because yeah. we did build this. Like I yep. did it completely on stream. We did this, right? Like every time I ran into something and y'all made a suggestion, like we did the thing. Yep. I wrote the code through the keyboard, but like we collaboratively wrote this thing that works. Yep. Right. So every time they see like uh, the automation is like a Twitter automation where it tweets out. And every time they see that Twitter tweet now, they feel a little bit of pride about it. Right. Right. Because they were involved in the creation of that thing. Yep. Makes sense. Very cool. This has been fun just to sit and chat and, you know, go through where you're at. Um, if people want to find you online, is there, is there a good place to follow you or? Yeah. The best place on? is uh, probably Twitter is uh, at Chris Biscardi. I also stream on Twitch, like we were just saying, um, and I have a Discord channel and other things. But uh, if you search Chris Biscardi platform, uh, you'll usually find me. Nice. And yeah, if you can put some of those links in the chat, then we can make sure that people sure. can uh, follow those links in the show notes. And yeah, where, where do people find your Gatsby themes? Or since you're being paid for them, are they proprietary? Uh, so I got paid to do the uh, official implementation of Gatsby themes in core. Right. So oh, okay. um, the themes that I have built on contract are the official Gatsby themes. Uh, gotcha. So if you want to find the official Gatsby themes, uh, you can go to gatsbyjs.org and uh, follow the tutorials in there, the Gatsby theme blog and Gatsby theme notes and things like that. Nice. Um, in the future, I'll probably have my own, but uh, those are the ones that I've built for now. Yep. Sounds good. It's funny too, because, uh, when I was con contracting, one of the things that really drove me crazy is that I would, I would build this thing for my client and then the client would effectively run out of money or get sidetracked by something else and mm -hmm. my stuff would never see the light of day. So I think it's cool that you're building something that's actually out there in the core for people to go and use and you know that people are going to see it and use it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I really like working with uh, companies that build their products on top of open source stuff. Because yeah. I've had those contracts too, where you build something and then suddenly for some un completely unrelated reason, they kill the contract. Yeah. Um, and it's like, this was so cool. I had one that launched. Yeah. And it was like, this is so cool. And I really love doing this. And then they never went and marketed it. <laughs> yep. And it's just like there and like, you were yeah. felt so proud about it. And now it's yeah. just like sitting in a dustbin somewhere, basically. Yeah. yeah I totally get that. Yep. All right. Well, the last section of this show is picks. Um, we did them on JavaScript Jabber. We'll do them here. Um, I'm just going to do a couple of shout outs. Um, I'm trying to figure out when this is going to go live. I'm not 100% sure, but I'll just pick some things that I know will be timely whenever it comes out. <laughs> yeah, my, my team manages the schedule and I'm just like, I, I just don't, I don't remember how many weeks ahead we are. So there we go. Um, the first pick I have, this is going to be less timely. Um, but you can go and check out uh, pictures on Instagram and stuff. Um, my Instagram is Charles Maxwood. And uh, I'm going to be running my first marathon on Saturday. Um, nice. I'm running the St. George Marathon. I hadn't really looked at the race uh, map until uh, this morning because one of my friends is like, when does your race start? I'll pray for you. Which I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, you think I'm going to die? <laughs> but anyway, um, so I went and looked. And one thing I didn't realize is that the race is mostly downhill, which is nice. Oh, that's nice, actually. So, but it's not so downhill that I'm going to, you know, because I've been doing some downhill <laughs> running, but not a ton. Um, and I tend to run the same course, like out and back from my house. And so I get just as much uphill as I do downhill. But yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. 
so yeah, so go check out Instagram, Charles Maxwood. Um, and I'll try and get some pictures posted. I'm not sure how much photography I can really do while I'm running. And my wife is only going to show up for the end of the race. So sure. yeah, I'll, I'll uh, do the Rocky pose as I cross the finish line and <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll kill it that way. But yeah, then the other thing that I'm going to quickly shout out about is if you go to uh, devchat.tv slash events, I'm kind of working on making that onto the website, but I'm going to be doing meetups at the conferences that I'm going to. So uh, San Francisco is, I think it's in like two or three weeks as we record this, I'm going to be at Jamstack Comp. And then uh, from there, I'm going to, I'm going to be in Nashville at the end of October. That's for a private event, but I'm going to do a meetup the day before the event. So um, I'll, I'll put details there as far as where to meet up. By the way, if you're on Twitter and you live in one of these places and you're like, this is a great place to have, you know, 10 or so people uh, get together. And, you know, if we have way more than that, we'll figure it out. But um, let me know because I'd love to just figure that out. Um, anyway, then uh, the week after that, I'm going to be in Orlando for Microsoft Ignite. And so I'm going to figure out a meetup there as well. Um, I'm actually... I, they had a CFP essentially to come and do podcasts, <laughs> which is weird because they're just sticking us in a booth and letting us record a podcast. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, so you had a CFP so I can sit down and talk to my audience that I normally talk to, except I'm in Orlando. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, they're going to pay my way. So I appreciate it. Sure. I, I just thought that was funny. So we're, we're going to be pulling that off. So I'll be doing one in, uh, that's the first week in November. And then the third week in November, I'm going to be at KubeCon. And so, um, yeah, I'm still figuring out the travel details for that one. I've got the travel lined up for everything else. So um, anyway, I'm going to be doing a meetup there too. I just don't know where in San Diego. But I actually have a bunch of friends in San Diego that will probably just say, yeah, we're going here and we're doing this. And I'll just go with it. So um, anyway, I'm really looking forward to all of that. I'm probably going to slow down my travel schedule next year. This year's just been nuts and I, I, I can't do it again. So uh, that said, if you want to come out and hang out and meet and give me feedback, then that's a great way to go. And then I'm just going to throw a few other things out here. If you go to any of the podcast pages, there's a suggest a topic or guest, please put in a recommendation for whatever show. I really appreciate that. We also have subscription links over there for iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the RSS feed, on and on and on and on. So we're working on that too. And uh, yeah, just lots of cool stuff going on. If you follow the devchat.tv Instagram, which is just devchat.tv, we also send little like short segments of the shows out that you can share with your friends and see if you can get them to listen. And I'd appreciate that. Or leave a review on iTunes or, you know, all of that good stuff. And finally, we have a Discord chat that we use for devchat.tv. Um, and you can connect with us and our hosts. Just go to devchat.tv and click on the chat icon. And it'll take you through to that. So anyway, lots of stuff going on. I'm, I'm kind of now rambling about all the stuff I'm working <laughs> on. Uh, one last thing I want to shout out about is maxcoders.io. Um, it's a membership site where we're going to show people how to build their careers, uh, build a career that supports the lifestyle you want, um, and also teaches you how to be the kind of developer that makes other people want to work with you, essentially, is the way that I've been putting it. So it's all the, you know, how do you communicate with your team? How do you take initiative on projects? How do you uh, figure out what it is that you want to do and then go after it? Um, how do you bring enthusiasm? How do you go find users groups to be involved in? How do you take advantage of conferences? We're probably going to have some stuff in there about speaking at conferences, um, writing blogs, doing podcasts. 
Um, the, the idea is, is essentially, I just want to give people all the tools they need to build the career that they want. And the career that they want should be part of the lifestyle that they want, whatever that is, right? So if you want to live in an RV and drive around the country, fine. If you want to live in one place and work a career job, that's fine too. But uh, we want to give you all the skills to just knock that stuff out of the park. So uh, maxcoders.io, um, I'm still working on setting that up as we speak. But I know that we're at least two weeks out from releasing this and I'll have it up by then. So yeah, just looking forward to all of that stuff and uh, all of the good stuff that comes out of that. So yeah, that's what I've got. Chris, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Yeah, I just, I just want to say that I love that uh, summary of Max Coders, where it's just sort of like, find the job and the work that fits the lifestyle that you want. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, nobody talks about it and it drives me crazy. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm like, if I have three people pay for this and I help them out, I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I'll continue the, uh, the workout trend of the, uh, I guess, theme. So I have an Instagram, I cook a lot, um, I leave it there, and then I'm doing a competitive weightlifting competition where uh, hopefully I will end up with videos of uh, me weightlifting that will also show up on my Instagram, uh, same name as every other platform. Right. So if you see the Twitter link, it's Instagram, Chris Biscardi, give it a follow. And then uh, I'll also shout out to my friend uh, Jason Langsdorf, uh, continuing the Twitch theme. He has a show called Learn With Jason. Uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And if you're looking into uh, Twitch streaming, coding, things like that, it's a great place to, uh, to check out and hang out. Sounds good. Very cool. Um, I'm, I'm going to be starting weightlifting after the marathon. I did a little bit nice. before and it messed up my training schedule because I hurt so bad because I hadn't done yep. it in so long. Yep. And so <laughs> I, was like, I was like, nope, nope. I'm going to go conquer the marathon and then I can work the weightlifting back in and yep. then I can go run another marathon, but it won't be killing me off, yep. you know, a few, a month before the marathon. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I love the fitness thing too, right? It's, it's, again, it comes back to that quality of life and what you're trying to build with your life. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we just get sucked into this and then that, and then the other because work and then family and then this and then that, and you really have to go out and, and own your life. I mean, you know, this is something that by the time, and, and granted, there were some things that went on with my dad, but, you know, my dad went through a lot of stuff and, you know, we lost him last year and it was just, it was stupid because, you know, he hadn't taken terrific care of his diabetes. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he had some other stuff go on. He had a hip surgery that went badly and, you know, and so he had nerve damage in his leg and he couldn't really go run or anything. Right. But at the same time, I'm just like, I just realized that that's part of the quality of life. You know, you're talking about the weightlifting and and sure, it's fun and it's rewarding, but, you know, you got to take care of yourself so that you can be around longer than 63 years because 63 years is way too short. Yeah, so. for sure. I think, uh, I guess the question there is, uh, who's going to own your life if you don't? Right. Yeah. And, and that's why I started running. I have five kids. I'm trying to run a company. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time getting on podcasts and making sure that they happen because we're a, a host or a guest short. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, uh, it's funny cause like on Friday or Saturday, I think it was Saturday. I, I had a six mile run scheduled, right? It's my last long run before the yeah. marathon. And I got back from my run at 1030 at night. Right. And it was yep. because I can't let it slide. I mean, all the other yep. stuff was important, but you have to prioritize it. You have to do it. And, you know, some people, they hear this kind of stuff and they're like, well, that's so inspirational. It's like, no, it's not inspirational. It's me <laughs> going and getting what I freaking want. 
Yeah. And, you know, if, if that's inspirational, then you need to figure out what you want and go, go get it. Right. Yeah. And I'm not trying to tear anybody down or bash anybody over the head, but figure out what you want and go have it. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. And yeah. like, for me, weightlifting isn't like an add on to my life. Right. right. It is my life. Like there, yeah. this is a piece of my life. Yeah. Uh, and it has been for a very long time. So I do it. Yeah. And I take the time and I do it. Uh, and I have to give up other things to do that. And that's okay because yep. this is what I want my life to be. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm finding as I decide I want different things or more things is yeah. Figuring out, okay, what am I going to give up for this? Cause I don't have time for it all. Yeah. But anyway, uh, thanks for coming and talking to me, Chris. I've got to jump off for another call. Yeah. But, thanks for um, having me. Yeah. This has been fun. And uh, yeah, hopefully people go check out your work over at the Gatsby. Is it GatsbyJS.org? Yeah. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, yes. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put all the other links in the show notes and uh, encourage people to go check that out as well. Um, and in the meantime, folks, max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.